Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. This is a review of our predictions for 2023, and y'all can't see it because it's audio, but to me it looks like the Brady Bunch edition because we dang near got nine people in the room here. <laughs> so, I don't know if you're going to hear from them all. People are going to be chiming in. The team has grown a little bit this year, and uh, we're going to run through everyone quick, and then you'll forget who they are and be curious in 20 minutes when uh, Jordan pipes up for the first time, and you're like, who's this guy? So, Let's go around and I'll just ask people to quickly shout out their title and name. Uh, so we'll start with Rye. Rye Marcatilio, Associate Director for Research. Christine. Christine Parker, Senior GIS Analyst. Jordan Pittman. Jordan Pittman, Digital Equity Coordinator. You know, this is very much like in the NFL when like they're introducing the defensive line folks and everything else. So I guess we should say like, you know, where you came before you joined the professional ILSR uh, team. Um, uh, Angelina. Angelina Paniagua, senior project manager, come from consulting. <laughs> Deanne Cuellar. Deanne Cuellar, associate director for outreach. And Emma Gautier, who, which in reviewing the transcript for last year, I've now been able to pronounce your name for one year. Emma Gautier, <laughs> researcher. <laughs> Excellent. So we are going to revisit a number of the predictions we made and share a little bit about our thoughts as 2023 comes to a close. And uh, we will be doing a more of a predictions-based show in the beginning of 2024. Uh, and then also, I was thinking I might ask Blair Levin to come back on. That was pretty good. And maybe we'll have him evaluate what he thought. Um, we haven't seen the world ending due to sports betting, but I think that was a longer-term bet. And if you're not familiar with uh, how that ties into everything, it's a great show from uh, January of last year, uh, January of this year, or if you're listening to this several weeks ahead, January of last year. Uh, let's start with some of the predictions that we made. We're going to start with ones that Christine made, and then we're going to roll through other folks. Um, Christine, I feel like we're starting off with uh, what was one of the rare optimistic uh, um, predictions that was made. Um, you thought the FCC would make the broadband data collection more accessible. Has that happened? I have no way of judging. You'll have to judge yourself on this one. It has actually, and it was, uh, I stumbled across this uh, looking for something like a few weeks ago and found documentation for an API to the broadband data collection. So it allows like programmers and other folks the ability to like programmatically access the data and download it in formats that are desirable to them. So, you know, if they don't want to download like individual state by technology files click after click they can do it in a more uh uh more reasonable kind of organized fashion i'm already confused i didn't see that coming this is exciting so it so is. <laughs> i mean a year ago i feel like we were deeply frustrated with the federal communications commission for making it very difficult to access data that should be available to the public uh, now you're saying that you can download this data without being timed out and having to do, go to ridiculous lengths to be able to to get at it. Is that right? From what I understand, there are great details in it about in the documentation about the timing and the timeout, um, the rate limiting, and and how to navigate all of that, um, which we have in the interim. You know, the silver lining to all of this is that I've made some great friends with. Other folks in this space that are working with data and we've navigated around this issue and created tools to help other people navigate it. So, um, yeah, it's it's been great and I'm glad they finally released it 
to the public officially. So the one of the other predictions you made was that there would be a scandal around the CostQuest license, which is the company that the FCC has paid tens of millions of dollars. So they would create a fabric of all the locations in the United States. So we would have a map of every place that should have broadband. And that would be the basis of whether or not those places do have broadband. Um, we've been very frustrated with the terms of that. Uh, what has What has happened on that front? In terms of the the licensing, um, I haven't heard of any scandals. They have, in a kind of a positive light, they did create an additional license tier that allows folks doing research to access the license. Um, you still can't use it for any kind of other commercial purposes, but for research and policy advocacy, um, you can use it, um, which I think is going to be really helpful moving forward. Um, still not ideal. Um they have made, I believe, through the NTIA license, which is separate, um, the ability to use it for planning purposes, um, like for BEAD, for example. Um, so so states, will... can, states have a broader ability to use it effectively now. Yes. Yep. One small uh, scandal, I guess, related to it, and, and this is just like... Uh, I don't know if it's limited to this area or if it's maybe some other kind of broader problem, but uh, in Maine, they the state uh, office discovered that there are large neighborhoods like disappearing from the fabric um, after all this time, like thousands of locations. And after challenging them, um, CostQuest isn't accepting those revisions for whatever reason. So it's unclear like what's happening. Um, so a little mystery intrigue. <laughs> this is just a challenge of managing large data sets, possibly. Yeah, yeah, it could be. So I would say that there was no license scandal. There, there maybe there should have been, but uh, this is not something that broke through. And still only a few of us are bitterly complaining about some of the terms of that deal. The deal has gotten better, but uh, still pretty frustrated about it. Yep, exactly. Now, there was no extension on the FCC's challenge process. The last time we did this, when we recorded the predictions show, we were still, at least me, I was certainly in a big cloud about what exactly was happening with the challenges that were supposed to be done at the very beginning of this year, what they meant. The FCC, I would say, lied or significantly omitted the truth in talking about what was happening. Um, and there also, you predicted that there would not be an extension of ability to do those challenges. You were right. The data is messed up and we just decided to roll merrily along. Right, and they wouldn't they wouldn't consider extending the allocation date based on the challenges that got incorporated. That's what we were also potentially hoping could be a solution to all of that, but that did not happen. I like to think there's someone at NTIA who, like, every time they get a request for a delay, they have a giant stamp that says no, and then in smaller letters <laughs> it says there is an election coming up and we need to get the money out. <laughs> <laughs> They have a nope button. Nope. Yep. <laughs> exactly. There are going to be no delays. And um, and I'm just going to give a little pre I was doing a little bit of thinking about, about my predictions because I'm going to be a guest on the Broadband Bunch podcast, which is a, a wonderful podcast from our friends at ETI Software. And, uh, and, and so I had to start thinking about, about my predictions a little bit. And uh, I have uh, I have one about whether there will be any delays or anything moving forward. So um, the other com the other 
uh, things that you predicted uh, were ones that where there was a big overlap among staff. And so um, I'm going to I'm going to ask if anyone else wants to weigh in. But you said 33 cities will commence a municipal fiber to the home project this year and that two states would weaken preemption laws. Um, does anyone else? Uh, I, I think, Christine, you didn't get the, uh, the definitely the two states didn't um, revise. We still have the same number of states that we did last year that discourage municipal broadband by our count, which is 17. Um, but we've had a number of different predictions about how many cities would start a fiber to the home project. And only one person, I think, knows how many did, according to the ILSR database of community broadband network projects. So, Rye, why don't you enlighten us? Yeah, and that's the way I'd like to keep it, Chris. Uh, it's called job security, folks. I'm the only one that knows. You can't get, can't get rid of me. Right. And for 1995, you too can find out how many cities started projects last year. Yeah, so you forced us each last year to make a prediction about uh, how many new uh, municipal fiber to the home, ne home networks would be launched. We all came up with numbers. I think... The uh, so there will be a slight asterisk to this, but it looks like the closest on the list is going to be either Chris or Emma uh, at twenty and twenty three respectively. Chris, uh, Chris definitely won. <laughs> so uh, so the the answer is uh, almost two dozen uh, cities enabled new infrastructure this year. That included uh, three new CUDs, uh, communications union districts in Vermont, of which. Each of those has many dozens of communities added to them. Oh, and now we're into a great question. People really want to hear how we count. Like, let's argue <laughs> about how we count. <laughs> about two thirds of my day at this point is arguing with Christine about, do we want to count it this way and get the number we want? <laughs> it or matters. should we count it this other equally <laughs> valid way? <laughs> so three, C three CUDs are building now uh, and they're all, and many of them, and three, they're all building at breakneck pace. And so uh, this number could be a little bit different by the time you listen to this episode. Um, but here's what we can say. Uh, we've got 14 brand new cities doing their own retail fiber to the home service started in 2023. Uh, wow. At least five others are doing public-private partnerships. Um, in that number also are a couple of public utility districts in Washington State. Uh, we've also got six new open access networks begun in 2023. Um, the asterisk there that I was talking about is that uh, our, the numbers there don't include the what were probably another handful or a dozen or more of existing uh, municipal networks that added new communities to their footprint, like Utopia and uh, and Cedar Hills, for instance. And so, uh, as with everything else, I'm discovering the numbers are a little bit squishy. But uh, we can either give it to Chris or Emma for 2023. I think you know. Let's just be clear here. Rye is bending over backwards not to say he won. Because Rye picked the largest number. He picked 40. And I think you could say that, you know, when you count the, the uh, if you go by the rules of how Chris and Lisa used to count things, uh, you know, that there's 900 communities that have these sorts of networks. We count Chattanooga as, you know, being the nine or 10 communities that it serves, not one, because those are communities. And so if you count by that, we're well over 40 with those um, with those community union districts. And so, you know, I would say that Emma and Chris will will get the credit. But secretly, we all know that Rye won. I appreciate that, Chris. Here's, uh, the other the other thing I will say is that it looks like initially right now, 2023 was as good a year as we've ever had for newly established municipal fiber to the home network. Wow. 
that's exciting. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think, you know, let's hope that there's more of that energy next year. Cause I think we, we really need it. Um, so Christine, any other reflections on your predictions? We'll, we'll, after we get through everyone quick, we'll just maybe reflect on any, any surprise stories for the year. So, but anything else on anything you predicted, Christine? I don't think so. Okay. Sean is next on the, on the list. Um, Sean joined me in foolishly believing that GG Sohn would be confirmed as the fifth commissioner on the federal communications commission. It still hurts. Yeah, it does still hurt. I mean, good to see her at the, uh, American association for public broadband, um, and her advocacy work there, um, is super important and she's doing a great job so far, but it would have been nice to have seen her as the fifth commissioner. So you and I, or I'll speak for myself. I was ridiculously wrong. And as I'm looking over the, the predictions that I made, I was wrong about every last prediction that I made. I, I'm pretty sure, except for one, which wasn't even a real prediction, which is that our new website would be out. Let's pause there for a second. So um, before we come back to that, um, we do have a fifth commissioner on the FCC. Anna Gomez was then nominated after uh, Gigi stepped down. And um, and for those of you who aren't aware, um, Gigi stepped down before certain members of the Senate, like uh, Manchin, uh, started trying to step on her and take credit. And um, uh, the corruption of some of these people in the Senate is gross. And then they want to like just brag about it. So, um, you know, uh, a number of these senators uh, basically working for the cable and telephone companies and the broadcast industry more than for the public, um, you know, crushed her and then tried to kick her on the way out, which was just terrible behavior. Which he described as a as being like a 16th month proctology exam. exam. Yeah, that was the polite way. Yeah. That's how she's publicly described it. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, um, the Anna Gomez is on the commission though now, and the FCC is moving forward with uh, with a few things that I don't think we're going to bother talking about because we don't think that very many of them are going to go very far. Although um, some of them are reforms that have been needed for a while. Uh, but um, but you had mentioned a new website release, Sean. What what website was that? Um, it's this uh, website um, called communitynest.org. And it's where we showcase all of the work that this team does. Um, and so it was a pretty important milestone. Again, hats off to Rye. You talk about job security, man. He rode that horse all the way to the end, and uh, that it and it is operational. And I have to say, it is, um, I think, much more user-friendly than our previous site, which I thought was pretty good. But Yeah, no, Rye did a great job. Uh, for people who are waiting for like a tags page and a number of other things, that's on me. Rye has done a great job of managing this process and getting the key things up. We still want to get some of the features that we haven't had back on uh, on there so people will be able to see those. So there is a list of some of those things I hope to do over uh, Christmas break coming up here. So, uh, But uh, Rye did a great job. The only thing is I'll say, Sean, job security is usually something you want to achieve and a job that you want to keep. Uh, <laughs> and I think <laughs> that part of Rye's job is not the part that he wants to keep. <laughs> Chris. <laughs> well, I will say this. Um, that was the one prediction that I made that was that was right. So the takeaway from here is always bet on Rye. No, you were right. Mastodon would continue to grow, but would not overtake Twitter. Uh, that was correct. I mean, Mastodon is growing. I think it's not growing in the way that we hoped it would. I've really slacked off. I've kind of given up on some of that social media and I miss it, man. I freaking miss it every day. Like 
just I just Elon Musk is uh, he's really done a number on the ability of people like us to be in contact with other people that work in niche fields. And it sucks. I think every day how much it sucks. And and I'm annoyed every time people talk about Twitter not being great because uh, I really liked the way Twitter worked before uh, the neo-Nazis were invited back. Uh, so pretty frustrating. Uh, Rye pulled numbers on fixed wireless expanding. Um and so, right, you want to, you know, Sean, you made a prediction that fixed wireless will continue to expand, uh, specifically Verizon and T-Mobile. Um, I think, did you say it would be at 9 million subs? No, I think that might be um, right d- digging in. Oh, to, uh, did I just step on Rye's st- st- statistic? I think you may have uh, given, yeah, I think you may have still, stolen his thunder. But um, I didn't, you know, the best way to bet is, or, or to predict things is to be sufficiently vague so that you look right no matter what. And so that's kind of one of those things that falls into that category, I guess. So, Christine, you pulled the number then. What is $9 million? Uh, I believe it was locations. Okay. So... Like, um, so that I think the subscribers, right? Like a number of uh, business and residential subscribers. Uh, right. It looked to me like you had, had compiled that there are 7.4 million uh, fixed wireless passings. Uh, what surprised me was that um, almost all of them were with two companies. Yeah. So, and I should say the numbers that I pulled uh, might be a little different than Christine's. Might be Mine might be a couple, a few months older than hers, but... I've got a T-Mobile at just uh, over four, maybe slightly over four and a half million subscribers for their fixed uh, wireless product, uh, and then Verizon uh, closing in on three million. They're you know slightly over two point seven, uh, and then AT and T pulling up the rear at uh, somewhere over half a million, but less than a million subscribers. And then all the other wisps, the local companies and whatnot. Once again, we just see that that those companies, a lot of local folks doing hard work, um, still doesn't add up to a whole heck of a lot. Uh, this is a service that is predominantly delivered by large monopolies. Right, and it's a good reminder, I think, of a couple of years ago when we were talking about the five G uh, craze that was propagated by the mobile companies, and uh, we can see now the the fruition of what they were really hoping to get, which was. Uh, eased local conditions and permitting processes and a smoother way for them to rapidly spin up a, uh, a new part of their portfolio. Right. It's also, it, I would say it's also um, not surprising for Verizon and T-Mobile did, did that. I mean, when you have massive marketing budgets, I'm sure that tips the scales in your favor to say nothing of the fact that I think the word wireless is inherently gives you a marketing advantage. Nobody likes wires. So wireless just sounds cooler. Uh, Mike Dano joined us on the most re- on the episode 85 of the Connect This Show. Connect This. Uh, and uh, we talked about some of this stuff. So if people are interested, connectthisshow.com, episode 85. You said, Sean, there would be six major scandals around broadband. Uh, do you would you say there are any? There were there were zero. Again, like I was so wrong on all. And you know what it was? Is that when we recorded this, I must have had like spiked eggnog and no this is the this was our general we all agreed like i mean that's the thing is that like i said two you know like none of us thought that it was and for all the problems we could still complain about for bead this is why i want to revisit these shows we cannot deny that at that time we thought the states would do a worse job and i think that the states are many there are there are many states that are still not doing an admirable job but i think the worst state is doing a better job than most people thought 
Right. Well, I guess I'm just thinking about the bulk of my predictions were unusually optimistic. I'm usually the person that says nothing is going to get done um, and all this kind of stuff. I guess six major scandals is sort of a pessimistic view, but I forgot that to define what a scandal is. And I forgot that nobody really covers telecom anyway. So things that should have been scandals, (laughs) they weren't covered. Yeah, no, I mean, that's this is so true. Like when we think about like our big goals for media coverage in this field, I never even think about television. The idea that like CNN or someone is going to cover broadband is laughable. Uh, I mean, not only, first of all, the most of the companies that own those not want to talk about it because like that's where they make a ton of money. But uh, it's just most people don't find it that interesting. And so, you know, uh, but y'all who are listening, you're the real heroes out here. I'll, I'll step in, maybe help out, help you out, Sean, a little bit or get you maybe halfway there. But I think the fact that uh, Gigi Sohn was not confirmed to the FCC, bis- b- despite being uh, particularly well qualified, I think that qualifies as as a scandal. OK, uh, yep. I think the fact that we went through the entirety of 2023 uh, and did not get a new broadband definition from the FCC qualifies as uh, if not a scandal, then uh, scandalous. Then scandalous. Yeah, there you go. So there you go. I got you all the way to two, Sean. Nice. This is why I love this working with you guys, man. You know. Okay, Emma wants to come in though. I'm not sure if she's going to add or subtract from you, Sean. So let's see. (laughs) No, I would just propose the idea that industry outcry to the digital discrimination ruling is a would that be considered a scandal? It's it's dramatic, I would say. I, I think it'd be stretching the bounds a little bit. I mean, I think the fact that the Wall Street. No, no, no. It's definitely a scandal. Now we're up to three. Come on. We need three more. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. People want to call in. You can, you can make, make Sean's day, you know, uh, let us know later if there are more scandals. Deanne, you got a scandal for us. I think it's pretty scandalous how high the ACP enrollment rates are and how quickly the money got spent. I think it's a testament to, um, I think without being a researcher, you if somebody would say point me to the data that proves there's a problem, well, the enrollment rates proves there's a problem. It just it's just clear that people are suffering and it shows how much in the country needs to rely on that subsidy. And if 42% of the country, you know, qualifies, I think I saw something like 58% in some communities were like enrolled. So it's pretty bad. Yeah, no, and I think, you know, these are all things that that I think we could say are scandalous, but I I'm sticking with and I and as someone who predicted two scandals, I still think we've designed we've discussed zero scandals in the in the mindset. Like we are lowering the bar. If you can't if we in if in January we had talked about this and been like, "Oh, like we're going to call it a scandal if, you know, if the way that Congress has treated the ACP um continues, uh I, I don't think we would have considered that a scandal at the time." The way we defined it at the the predictions meeting was it would have to be in uh, non broadband, non telecom media. So that would that's what would qualify it. I'm I'm saying that we're at four, and then I just thought of two more. So I, I, I so so I was right. Emma in the chat, she's saying Wall Street Journal. That does not qualify as mainstream media. Media. If it's in the Wall Street Journal news section, yes, the Wall Street Journal editorial page is totally la la land. It has nothing to do with reality. Is not intended to have anything to do with reality. And so I am disqualifying that page of the Wall Street Journal. Go ahead, Sean. What are your two others? You're wrong about that, but we'll talk about that some other time. The, um, nothing sparks a scandal like a, a editorial in a major news outlet. But anyway, the other two. We're at four, according to my count, zero in your book, but four on my count. Thanks, Rye, Emma, and Deanne. 
it took so long for the letter of credit issue to be resolved. That's five. And number six is the piece that I authored that was in the American Prospect of how the Internet for All initiative will be more like the Internet for somewhere at six. Yay. I finally got a prediction right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so we're going to we're going to call it six for the purposes of Sean needs a win. <laughs> Let's uh, let's go and jump back before we run out of time to some of the other predictions. Rye, um, what was your first genius prediction? Oh man, I think I said that we will wrangle over the USF for most of 2023, but definitely it won't crumble if, if my memory serves me. I think I is that in my memory is that the opposite of what I said? Oh, okay, <laughs> all right. So I said so, the USF would crumble, and it is still with us, although we are. We're talking about it. We're talking about what's what's going to happen. So the Universal Service Fund, and I realize some of this stuff, I'm sorry for folks who might be confused about some of the ways that we're throwing out topics fast and furious if you're not living in this space like, like we are. But the Universal Service Fund is uh, a method that was developed after 1996 to try to uh, resolve the fact that with a profit-driven competitive system, we would see a lot of people not getting the investment that they needed. And so there's a high cost fund for rural areas. There's a experimental kind of, they wouldn't describe it as experimental, but there's a small uh, rural healthcare fund. There is the Lifeline program and there is E-rate for the schools to make sure that schools are well-connected. It's all funded by a small tax on interstate communications, uh, which uh, very few people use anymore, And uh, but is a small part of your, your mobile phone bill. And um, uh, that tax is uh, sort of like it's under legal threat. It's really odd in that it taxes some things and doesn't tax other things. Some people are super annoyed by it. I think we were all predicting that we would see, I don't know, um, perhaps a federal communications uh, commission chair that cared about resolving this, uh, um, trying to fix it and uh, and also wrap in ACP so we would have a good solution. And this was a subject of another recent podcast with uh, Angela Seifer and Greg Geist joined me for a community broadband bit show. Um, so anyway, that's sort of the USF discussion in a nutshell. We kind of thought that maybe one of the lawsuits would disrupt it. If you read the, uh, I, I think Blair Levin is a great writer on this stuff. Um, you know, uh, there was a point in which he felt that if a lawsuit had took, taken USF out, that Congress and the FCC would fix it. And I think now his thinking is that if a lawsuit takes it out, good luck. <laughs> because <laughs> there is no sheriff on duty. There is no one that really cares about getting things right on telecom in this country anymore. My words, not Blair's. Uh, Sean, your hand is up. This show would not be, we would not be doing it justice if we didn't acknowledge that. Now that I'm looking over the list of predictions from last year and got past how horrible mine were, it's looking to me like Emma made so many good predictions that I think I might now be hitting her up to do FanDuel and try to win some money because I think she was right on basically every one of her predictions. All right. Well, we're going to come to that next as soon as we wrap up with Rye. Rye, um, you had a prediction about Starry, uh, which uh, didn't happen. Yeah, I thought they would get bought, picked up by somebody. I thought probably T-Mobile was the most likely candidate. But they, you know, for most of 2023, they spent uh, their time in uh, Chapter 11 proceedings and just emerged uh, middle of the fall uh, from Chapter 11. And uh, and so they have now constricted their market to the East Coast markets in Chicago, I think. Um, so And L.A. And L.A., okay. So they yep. are back in... Uh, greatly reduced form and promising that they will continue to provide their fixed wireless service. Yeah. And I mean, I think 
people should be aware of how this works because Starry looked like a really great company in Columbus, for instance. They had big designs on Columbus and it's a very large Ohio market. And the city of Columbus might have been thinking, ah, oh, like we probably don't have to do something. We got Starry coming in, you know, we got some other competition for, I'm going to guess Charter Spectrum is there. And uh, and this is what happens. Uh, so it's a hard business and the big incumbents usually win or they buy out someone who else looks like is going to win. So um, just kind of a reminder of how that, how that cookie crumbles. Um, speaking of crumbling cookies, um, Rye, I think you had zero correct unless we give you the um the number of cities that would start a municipal broadband project so yep. um mm-hmm. that might still put you up um ahead of sean's <laughs> fake prediction well, and then welcome, trying to welcome, cheat. welcome to the club right <laughs> <laughs> all right so now we got emma emma coming in um apparently we have high hopes for you emma um you had predicted that the acp enrolled uh would not the enrollment would not reach 50 percent how do you feel about that right now, Emma? You feel pretty bad about capitalizing off of that sad statistic. I do feel, yep. Yeah. However, I was conservative. I was risk averse. I just felt pretty solidly about that prediction. And unfortunately, it's true. We're at the 43% right now um, of eligible households enrolled. How would a person go about tracking that if they wanted to know how many were enrolled, Emma? Please check out the ACP dashboard acbdashboard.com. Now, you also predicted that the outreach grants for ACP, which uh, came along a few years after the ACP did for reasons that are not good, um, yeah. and that they would not go as far as they should. Uh, how are you? How would you like to be evaluated on that? I think that's another key to getting predictions potentially right, is to just be super, super qualitative and abstract to the point where you can't pin me down for anything. Um, all I will say is anecdotally, I think this is true. I mean, I was just talking to someone who is trying to go work in a community that has very, very low knowledge of the ACP. They don't really know a whole lot about the program and they certainly aren't getting signed up for it in substantial numbers. So I think there's a lot of communities where it's just like the, they don't know the program exists and you can't benefit from it if you don't know it exists. So it's a big problem. And I'm sure that, People are working really hard to get the word out in a lot of communities, and it's tough to see the enrollment um, not even reach half of eligible households. Although that's still pretty good by um, comparison of, of similar programs. And uh, Deanne will come in in a second, but I would say that the White House agrees with you in that if you back out the White House's um, calculation for how much money is needed to get the ACP through the rest of next year, it would suggest that they would not anticipate any growth further beyond this. So, um, uh, Deanne, what what did you want to chime in with? Well, I was just going to say I agree with Emma about you know how there's so much work being done to get the word out, and yet since I geek out to this, I Every time I meet somebody new, like whether it's a waiter or bartender or grocery store, I'm like, do you know about ACP? Mm, I'm like nine times out of 10, they do not. But I was going to say the plus side is that next time I see them, they say, yes, I qualified. And then I went on to tell everybody I knew about it. And I think that that's pretty great. Yeah. Right. I was just going to add in there since we're talking about ACP now that we are if you go to acp-dashboard.com, that's acp-dashboard.com, we're looking at less, just just approaching $3.6 uh, billion left in that bank account, 
which means it's not going to get us through the end of next summer. Uh, we don't yet know whether it will be uh, that bank account will get uh, re-upped by Congress in some way or another. Or or if the White House could swap some funds around to help shore it up a little absent congressional action, that is possible. But let please finish your thought. Yeah. So, you know, we've begun to see some some work uh, by different research, researcher groups around what happens if you start to, for instance, mess with some of the ways through which you can qualify for ACP um, as people try to get a sense of uh, will, you know, will they try to reduce the number of eligible households as a way to extend the lifespan of, of ACP? Um, and I think what we've universally seen, uh, especially recently, is that when you press on the different levers for moving ACP eligibility up and down, whether it's across one of the income thresholds or participation in SNAP or one of the other pathways, uh, it does hit different demographic groups in pretty stark ways. And so it's important for folks listening who are participating in policy discussions or education or outreach or whatever to know uh, that what we do with ACP matters both in the long term, but also in the short term to the groups that are taking advantage of it today. John. This wasn't exactly Gigi's idea, but she did raise the specter of she pointed to, you know, there's a lot of leftover money in RDOF. Um, and while that is for infrastructure, it makes me wonder if anyone thinks it's a good idea that at least a portion of that money um, be used to uh, short the ACP. Well, that is uh, part of the Universal Service Fund, and so that could be a part of a transition uh, for a an improved um, lifeline-type service that would look more like the ACP. And for people who are interested, I would again recommend going back a few episodes to um, the conversation with Angela Seifer with NDIA and uh, Greg Geis. Um, Emma... Uh, we have one last prediction from you, and that is that the broadband label, which you have done a lot of writing on and research around, uh, will start to be used, but not uniformly available or useful. How do you feel about that? It's still pretty recent. So I think that's, that prediction is technically correct, but it's not super fair of me to be assessed as correct for that. Um, but we've seen a few providers start to publish that ahead of the deadline um, most providers have 12 months and smaller providers have a hundred thousand or fewer subscriber lines have six months um for example we've seen google fiber publish the label way ahead of its deadline um and i think it's a good opportunity for a lot of fiber providers to just be super transparent and upfront about their pricing structures and their speeds. Um, we know that it's a little bit of a different story for wireless just because reporting speed just looks different, but it's a good opportunity overall for providers who don't try to like bait and switch customers or who don't try to do um, really complicated pricing structures just to get people signed up, um, it's a really good opportunity to demonstrate that they're transparent and straightforward and just able to actually deliver what they um, commit to deliver. Right. And I think I think that the big providers have to start uh, displaying the label in the spring of next year. Is that right? Most internet service providers have until April 10th and smaller providers have until October 10th, 2024. Yeah, and I, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what we can do with that uh, when the when the data starts coming around. Um, maybe that'll be a prediction for next year. The predictions that I made 
Um, let's see how other people want to evaluate me. Uh, if anyone wants to wants to jump in here, massive tech layoffs. Boy, that word massive is going to be disputed. I think um, I would say that there were significant tech layoffs, but I think massive might be over stretching it. I think the word massive is doing a lot of work for you there, Chris. Although I think to to be fair to you, I think it also the failure of that prediction stems from the failure of your second one, which is that ChatGPT would take over the world. I'm assuming you were linking those two things together. Uh, yes, uh, I believe I was. Um, I will say that I, I, so there's two things going on if one tries to evaluate this. One is there is an incentive for a company that is laying off a significant number of workers to say, oh, chat PT made us do it. <laughs> and so it is hard to get a sense of what is actually happening out there in terms of of AIs and whatnot um, being used. I feel like I am still bullish that this is going to significantly result in major job displacements over the next five years. Um, but I will concede that not that much has happened this year as I think it's still being adopted into workflows. But I do think, and I'm you know getting ahead of myself a little bit, if I'm off, I think I'm going to be off by months, not years. I think that's fair. Um, I said that Sean would be ready to use chat GPT. Sean, have you done any, uh, have you done any of this? Why in the world would you make that prediction? <laughs> I mean, you know, like, why would you make that prediction? Am I ready? No, but I will say this. I did see it in action at the boot camp. Uh, we were at uh, at the Mohawk uh, Casino Resort. Spaggy showed it. And, man, it was amazing. So it did inspire me to want to, like, fool around with it. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. But um, I'm just really surprised that you made that prediction. I don't know what you were thinking. <laughs> Uh, I said that there would be at least two major disasters with states and broadband where the state broadband office just blows up or there's a new major scandal. Um, and uh, I will say that I think there's zero, although Christine's trying to help me out here uh, in the same way that we were trying to help Sean out by manufacturing some. Uh, Christine, what is the closest that we would say we've come to a scandal? Um, I learned recently that the Washington State Director, uh, Broadband Office Director, uh, quit or resigned. Somewhat unexpectedly, I think they've gone through a string of them yeah. there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, and I, you know, this is something that I think is worth commenting. I think I've talked about it before, and uh, I think I did a podcast with Russ Elliott, who had been actually a past Washington State uh, Broadband Office Director. Um, I think broadband office directors right now should be getting paid like two or three times what they are. Um, you know, I think many of them are in salary ranges of one hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a year, which is a good salary in most of the country. But the work that they are being expected to do is so important and so valuable. I think it should be in that three to 500 range. Um, it, it, they would still be lesser paid than the football coach. That is the almost certainly the highest paid public employee of their state. Uh, if you're not familiar with this, um, state football and basketball men's sports coaches tend to be the highest paid public employees of states. And I think you could make a case that we should temporarily boost the spending of these offices to make sure that they have the talent that they need and that that talent is being rewarded for not just going off into the private sector where they can make that money anyway. So, um, no, you can't do that though. You can do whatever you want, Deanne. No, you can't because if you had fully funded broadband development offices and they had the talent and the staff they needed to like make this world a better place, like we wouldn't be in the situation we're in possibly. It's <laughs> like, I'm being, that. that's how like much of a naysayer I've become about supporting people in the field is, but no, I don't, I have no proof of that, you know, political statement. I mean, you got in Texas there, you know, you got this guy in the controller office, right? Doing a good job. But he like is. he's distributing billions upon billions of dollars. And 
you know, I just, I feel like this is something that is like a really big deal. It's a multi-year project. And uh, I don't know enough about civil service rules to know how one would go about doing this or what all of the pros and cons are. But to me, it seems like we are um, a bit foolish in how we are compensating people for this work. Um, but uh, I do want to come back to, I, I think, and I'm curious how other people would react. I think that, and I don't know which state it is, but whatever state is objectively doing the worst on broadband, I think they are doing better than everyone thought they would be doing. I agree. Yeah. And also just like, I, you know, I'm always going to toot a horn about Texas as a Texan, but, you know, I think Greg Conte and his office are doing a good job considering that they have the, a state that's three times the size of the country of Italy. Like it's a huge state with so many regions. And so, yeah, no, I think, I think that that office is doing well. I think Greg is doing well. And, uh, and I'll just note that we are working on a contract that is supporting the office. So we, um, just to be purely above board, we are working and have worked with some different states and uh, are open to, you know, helping with education efforts and things like that. But um, when Sean writes a story about uh, CAPE, uh, the uh, Open CAPE project, we try to disclose uh, that he's on the board there. And so, you know, we try to be open about any biases we might have. Rye, what were you going to say about that? I was just going to say that, you know, certainly we didn't see the number of scandals that we expected in 2023, but I think to some extent that comes from the slow burn of bead this last year. I think we thought more was going to happen or it looked like more was going to happen early on. And so uh, I think if you just recycle your prediction for Sean's six major scandals or Chris's two, uh, 2024 will definitely be your year. All right. Well, we'll see. Are there any other things that uh, we want to reflect on before we wrap up? Anything else that happened over the course of the year? This is a chance also for if Angelina or Jordan want to jump in with anything that, that they've observed, you'd be welcome to. I predict that now that now that states are starting to talk about the Digital Equity Act and cybersecurity and safety on the Internet, we will see a rise in those com uh, conversations. I, and I think not just from the those of us that know that or are working on it, but because there's complicated global politics going on, there's an election, you know, most most of the like pre-COVID people are like back in the office, like including schools. And so I, I think we could see like that part of the sector, you know, get a rise in attention. I think you're right. And I, I don't know if anyone else read the story. I feel I don't remember the source now, but there was a story about the number of adolescents, mostly males, who are being extorted, where someone, you know, let's just say, for instance, from Russia or North Korea or something like that, um, pretends to be a young woman who wants to have a relationship with this young man just to be heteronormative. And they um, they entice that person to send them a nude photo. And then they threaten to send that photo to the parents, to the friends of the school and everything else, unless they pay $300 in Bitcoin. Um, that has led to suicides. It has led to just horrible situations. And for me, it's a reminder that as we think about digital skills, um, this is something that is not just about uh, older Americans, older adults. This is um, this is about everyone and, and about the total lack of security and safety. Uh, and that gets into uh, a discussion I've had before, which is that we need universal, high-quality, 
low latency networks available everywhere so we can buy cheaper, dumb devices in our homes where most of the computing will be done in the cloud and guarded by security professionals and make us less vulnerable to that. We will all pay more per month, less per device and save the environment. And we can do it when we have high quality networks. Uh, and a lot of people won't like paying more per month and I am with them, but that would solve a lot of the risk that we currently face right now. Rai, you're nodding along. So you might be the only one I didn't lose with that weird stream of connections if you haven't heard it before from me. <laughs> no, you didn't lose me. I, I agree with you. Uh, I just think the, the state of security in our devices is awful. Um, Apple tends to be better than Microsoft, but um, we're all vulnerable and just hoping that they pick on someone else uh, when they're coming to attack. And so you, you we do the best we can, but uh, it's, a, it's a hard world out there. And I think it's going to get worse before it gets better uh, for those devices. Yeah, it's a fundamental flaw of the market in that we there's this tension between we want as many often cheap devices as we can get from water sensors in our basement to let us know if our uh, water heater tank has burst to the you know $1,200 phones we have in our pocket. There's very little incentive to secure appropriately the devices on the small end. And uh, we are not at this point of that arc where uh, we're seeing increased security among the low cost devices. On that note, uh, we will be doing a predictions show next year. Uh, so um, looking forward to that. Uh, it's been an interesting year. And um, I guess I should just uh, wrap up by saying that for people who are curious, uh, we have grown our staff a bit. Um, we are, we you know, we miss uh, folks that left, although I think, um, I think 2023, we didn't, we've kept everyone that started 2023 to the end of 2023. We've added a few who are wonderful additions to our team. And uh, we've been doing some more contract work in addition to our philanthropic work. But individual donors have been very helpful for making sure that we can continue doing this work and um, would love it if people wanted to visit ilsr.org slash donate. Or if you go to communitynets.org, there's a donation button. And if you can support us, that would be wonderful. You could even say on there that it is for the community broadband networks work, but cannot go to Chris's salary. So uh, you could be nuanced if you would like to make sure that the other fine people here are well supported. And I encourage you to test me on that with uh, five and six figure donations. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, with that, I hope you all enjoyed. And if you didn't catch the end of the podcast that uh, came out now two weeks ago, sorry that we missed last week, but Rye sewed in a hilarious, hilarious skit that uh, Lisa and I had acted out with some of our other uh, staff helping uh, from back nine years ago. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of it is still pretty accurate. Um I have lumen fiber now in my home or CenturyLink or someone, but it's, they call it quantum fiber to, um, again, just totally lose me in the marketing, but, uh, I canceled my Comcast service after 20 years. I could not do it online. I did not want to do it over the phone. So I went in person and I was able to cancel it. But, um, the, uh, the, per the customer service has not improved in a lot of these areas. How, how hard of a process was that for you, Chris, in person? Showing up in person was very easy because I feel like in person, they want to get rid of you and move on to a person that will give them money. So um, so I had my ID and whatnot. It probably took four minutes. Oh, really? Oh, I, I, the reason I asked is because I went into a charter spectrum office uh, a couple of months ago to return an old modem. And they looked up my account and then asked me where the other three modems were that I had in my house. And uh, I had to go back to my basement and I found one other one that had been three, four, five years old. 
But then I had to tell them these other two probably haven't been in service since the early 2000s. So can you please take them off my account? Yeah, no, I only had one device because I had gone to the mid split upgrade. So I had to go with a Comcast piece of equipment. I brought that in and the woman told me, be very careful with the receipt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because she was basically expecting that I would start to get harassed for equipment that I had already turned in. <laughs> so with that, I hope that you all have good experiences, have great internet connections over the break. I think we will try to do another show before uh, Christmas, but uh, who knows? And uh, we're going to have a nice uh, vacation. So hope you had a chance to celebrate some holidays. And if you don't hear from us again, we'll be back in January, but I'm also trying to be back before then. So uh, take care, everyone. Thank you all for joining. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at communitynuts.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow communitynets.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. (laughs) 